I invented Nightcap in a dream. This is the In Your Dreams podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. In this episode, I am bringing on self-defense slash martial arts educator and professional David Heineman. There is conversation of drink spiking and sexual assault. This is a warning in case these subjects are triggering. We're diving into safety tips and how to stay safe this Halloween and New Year's. David is sharing some of his students' stories. This stuff is extremely important, so I'm really excited for you guys to listen. How are you? Good. How's it going? Not bad. Morning coffee, I see. Me too. Little tea to start the day. How's everything with you? Pretty good. I mean, it's Friday, so we're happy. How's that? How's that Forbes event? It was awesome. It was in Cleveland, and okay. there were just a bunch of really interesting speakers. We had Machine Gun Kelly, Kendall Jenner, Drewski, Matt Reif. I don't know if you. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, they were pretty neat, and Pinky Cole was really good. We were there with Invisaware, so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Yeah, because they're on the Forbes list for Boston. So um, yeah, it was super cool. They're so awesome to hang out with. Have you ever met them in person? I have not, no. I'm hoping to. I'm hoping to. I definitely need to find time to come meet you all and meet them. Yeah, for sure. Anything new with you? Are you traveling at all? Yeah, I'm actually leaving for Kentucky here in a couple hours to go teach for the weekend. And I think that's the last one for the year. So I'm kind of done after this, which is nice. So it's been... uh, busy summer but good is it like a high school or, or no this is a combative seminar so i think the majority of the people there are going to be law enforcement and it's myself and three others that are teaching it so between the four of us i think we each got like a four hour or so block over the two days and so we'll it'll be like a three four hour session lunch three four hour session and then again on sunday wow so. that's a long time it is <laughs> a long time so but looking forward to it Awesome. Well, cool. First of all, I guess, tell everyone who you are. My name is David Heineman. I am a self-defense instructor out of the Chicago suburbs. Uh, I've been involved in martial arts now for well over 25 years now. Um, I've been teaching close to 20 years now. Um, Everything from working with bullied kids, kids, adults, law enforcement, sexual violence, kind of just in and around that I guess, persona. Um, my main focus, or at least my passion has always just been like the women's self-defense and not, and I say women's self-defense in a broad sense, but more just like the sexual domestic violence, like that kind of category of self-defense is kind of where I find most of my, my passion in to put it simply, you know, the self-defense is the same. It doesn't really change between what I'm teaching those individuals compared to what I'm teaching, like a law enforcement. It's more so like the mindset or the approach to the situations or understanding that someone on law enforcement might have a little bit more experience or understanding of, you know, fight or flight compared to someone that's in a sexual violent encounter type situation. So like, you know, those types of things change, but there's just not a lot of people solely focused on that I guess, category. And so at least around here, that's what I'm trying to kind of really just push in my area is just kind of running that that type of stuff as much as possible, which is how I stumbled upon you all. Yeah, well, you say you're doing it around there, but you're reaching everyone else. So you're actually, you're actually doing it everywhere. Because I mean, you're on social media, and you're spreading awareness about 
everything safety wise and it's super amazing to see nightcap we appreciate what you do it's super Thank you. important yeah of course out of curiosity what were you doing before you got into this so this is a side job for me none of this is full-time so i work actually in the food industry in a family business so we manufacture salad dressings and sauces so i'm actually the fifth generation owner of that so that's my main day-to-day job. And then this is something I've always done on the side. Now I did run a studio for years in sync with, I owned it with a few other officers and stuff at the time. And I actually stepped down from teaching in 2018 with the intention to be done teaching. And that was kind of like my intention. You know, I I went to school with the mindset of I'm going to run a gym and then that kind of changed. And I figured, you know, it somewhat of a safer route to put that as a secondary And it was good. You know, it was, it was a fun, I learned a lot from it. And then 2018 came around and I was just kind of done. I had just gotten married and I was like, you know, I just want to kind of back off teaching and kind of focus on training for me. Cause for you, you know, you, you start teaching for so long, you kind of lose sight of your own training. And so I kind of wanted to back off and start training more. And then during COVID when everything shut down, I had a few of my former students reach out asking, if, hey, can we come and train at the house and start working on some stuff? And lo and behold, now we're back to running full-blown classes again. And so that kind of, those core group of guys, which if anyone out there who's listening to this, if you watch my content, it's the same guys that are in all my videos. Those are the two that kind of got me back into teaching a little bit. And so, yeah, now now I've kind of taken it. So less teaching weekly classes and more kind of just doing seminars or online content type I guess is is where it's kind of turned into. That is so awesome that your students are just extremely involved with not only the skills itself, but also they're in your videos and they're trying to educate everyone else. And they have fun with it. They're 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 two brothers. They're fun. Uh, I've known them since God. They were six, seven years old. Um, so they've been with me for a long, long time. And so you know, it's fun for them. It's fun for me to like see, because um, obviously our page blew up. Um, but for like them in high school, when they're like, oh, dude, I saw you on that guy's video or whatever. Like, I didn't know you knew him. And so like they kind of get that little acknowledgement from some of their peers, which is kind of fun to hear and see. Um, but they enjoy it. You know, they send me stuff all the time. Um, you know, I'll ask their opinion. But we, I kind of call them like my board of directors. So I'll kind of run stuff by them before, even though I'm probably going to make my own decision at the end of the day anyways. But I'll still kind of like, hey, what do you guys think about this? Just because they're in that age range of like, that's where a lot of my audience is right now. So I kind of you know, reach out and try and get their opinion a little bit more. So you can pretty much directly see or take information from them about like, Hey guys, what is going on today with your age group? And like, how can we kind of dig deeper? Well, so I would say that at least the guys that I train with on a regular basis are all 100% word of mouth. Most of them being from high school or like freshman year in college. So they're all within the same age range but there's so like when our videos took off it was because i was posting combination of how we were posting the information but we were posting actual fight footage because we get a lot of people that are like oh you know that would never happen in a real situation and when i show an actual clip of a fight and like yeah this is exactly what's going on one the fight kind of draws in the attention a little bit but two the way that we broke it down but they're actually sending me stuff from school on a regular basis. So they're like, hey, this fight happened in our hallways today. This happened in our lunchroom today. And because they're all talking to other schools, they all send the videos to each other. So I'm getting this stuff before it's even published online. 
And so we're getting like firsthand footage. And then I get even some of the teachers that I've worked with over the years, like, Hey, you know, can you come in and talk to our school a little bit? So I've been into some of the high schools working with them on just violence in general, just because it's not, you know, what it used to be anymore. It's kind of gotten a little bit more aggressive these days. So yeah, definitely. They, they've definitely provided some legitimate firsthand insight into what's going on in the schools. Cause again, I'm not in school. I don't know what peers are doing, how things are anymore. So Right. And obviously it's different at every school. Like for, for me, I was in high school not that long ago. <laughs> I think maybe during my four years, there was like two or three that I knew of, right. but hearing that and listening to you saying how they're, they're actually filming what's going on. And this is an occurrence. It's actually, it's, it's happening right. on a regular basis is very interesting. Is that because of where, is it the city that they live in? Or is it just kind of how I honestly, I think a lot of it's from COVID, just from the isolation that all the kids had. And and I've got a lot of the older guys I train with that are teachers. And then even some of the cops that I work with that are like school officers. And a lot of them all say the same thing. It's just, you know, the, the lockdown kind of really just put everybody in kind of a bad state, just being isolated for that long. I, again, depending on where you were, it was worse than others. And I'm not talking about, you know, the sickness or anything like that, but just you're stuck at home, stuff shut down. And so when people go back to school, it's just, they're kind of just letting it out a little bit more. And it's definitely at least the the video. And again, like part of my job, which I've learned this, you know, with the use of social media, you kind of have to study this stuff if you want to teach it. And so it's not like I'm trying to become desensitized to it. Some of the stuff, unfortunately, I have been, but for the most part, you know, we watch this stuff not to be like, oh, that was crazy, but more so what was leading up to it? What's the body language showing, you know, if someone gets knocked out, are they stopping or are they continuing to hit the person or stomp on them? Or if, are people jumping in? And so you're kind of getting a firsthand look. So when people say, you know, oh, you know, our kids are fine in school, we don't need to worry. It's like, well, this is what's happening at middle schools, at high schools. And then, you know, college, I'm not seeing as many fights and stuff as college. College is kind of where we get a little bit more into the sexual violence, but definitely like in high schools and stuff. I, I just think from the lockdown and the isolation, that kind of just set people off a little bit more I guess yeah that's really unfortunate I I feel like in a lot of ways it messed people up and in, in socially and they probably I mean I don't I couldn't even imagine being in high school after that I no. was a senior when it happened so they I remember the day they were like okay we'll be going home for two weeks and then I just never went back to high school but honestly right. yeah it's it's a tough time for kids and especially with all the social media stuff. It's like, I feel like kids don't really know how to communicate with each other. No. So maybe, maybe they're just punching each other instead of saying hello. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's crazy because now it's, it's more of a, it's not even like people aren't even fighting. And I had this conversation with the cop yesterday, you know, people aren't even just fighting anymore. It's, it's just blindsiding people. It's not even a fight. It's, we're just going to beat you up and you're not, and we're just not, we're going to do it in a way that doesn't even give you a chance to protect yourself. So it's not like we square up and like, all right, after school today, you know, we're going to go meet out in the back. It's I'm going to hit you when you're not looking and jump you. And then you have no idea what happened. And it's just, it's a different, I was never that big into I guess that's violence. And I never really was this big into self-defense and stuff until like COVID hit. And you just start kind of seeing, you just start seeing like everything kind of snowball and stuff. And right. it's unfortunate. And and I hate kind of, you know, you go through my like feeds and everything. And like, that's all you're going to see because that's all I'm kind of looking up in that sense. So it's unfortunate, but I I want to provide people with the most authentic, real 
case of like this is what's happening to kids this is what's happening to adults this is what's going on out in the world just like you educate people about the drink spike in it and kind of just say like hey we're not going to pretend like this doesn't happen here's the real you know here's stories from real people that have been drugged or been assaulted or raped and you're going to hear it firsthand from them and it's unfortunate but people need to hear that stuff they need to see that stuff to believe this is what's happening and it's just it's, it's just unfortunate that this is kind of where things are right now right and i think it's similar because with drink spiking it's the same people think it doesn't happen so right. for someone like me who doesn't really pay attention to like martial arts and and you know kids fighting in high school I don't think that stuff occurs, but you're someone who has seen hundreds of videos and have people talking to you daily about fights or maybe just different things relating to that. So you've heard pretty much, I mean, you're the professional, you've heard all of it, you've heard all the stories. And so I feel the same way with Nightcap and everyone comes to me with their stories. And then it's frustrating to hear those people who are like, this doesn't actually happen. Why do I need to protect myself? Right. How did you get into martial arts? Well, I started when I, so it's either one of two things. You either get forced into it because either you get beat up or something and your parents sign you up or your parents want to sign you up because they just need you to do something um, or you want to do it. And I was one that wanted to do it as a kid. And so I just kind of started. And my instructor at the time was like a very old school military instructor. Um, I'm talking like stick to the back of the leg if you're out of place type thing. And again, like back then, when I started, you could get away with some of that stuff, but I'm grateful for it because he was extremely disciplined, but he was one that was kind of very focused on street focused self-defense, not sport, but hundred percent. If someone's beating you up on the street, kind of dirty fighting in some ways, but he wanted to make sure that you were safe. And he was just good with the discipline, but he was very good at kind of pushing us to go out and train other disciplines. And so the older I got and realized that, you know, some of the tr traditional martial arts don't cover what happens if you get knocked onto the ground or what happened, you know, there's a lot of areas that people leave out in certain disciplines. And so I started training at boxing schools. I started taking wrestling and I started taking jujitsu and I just started kind of working in all these different combative sports that their sole purpose is hurting somebody, you know, even though it's for sport, their job is to hurt someone. And so like, you start to learn how your body reacts when you get punched. Obviously I had been in fights as a kid and, and even all the way through in the college, but you know, you just kind of learn all that. And the more I learn, it, it's just, rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole and you just kind of get sucked into it and most people that i know that kind of really commit to it just get sucked in and, and they're in it for life the women's self-defense and kind of teaching that aspect started subconsciously in high school when i worked and i helped out with a women's self-defense class where i was a person that you just got to beat up on and there was an instance where i walked into so i guess we had like we had two mat spaces and so like one room was the drilling, the other side was like, okay, you've done the drilling. Now we're going to put you in a live test. And so I was supposed to help out in there. And I vividly remember stepping onto the mat and a woman, something about me just triggered something and she just broke down. And so my friend who was the instructor running that class at the time said, Hey, why don't you just, you know, go work out on the other side. We'll swap you and the other instructor. And it was kind of just one of those where like kind of subconsciously planted a seed. And I didn't, I was in high school at the time. I didn't think twice about it. So I got into college and my freshman year at school, there was a report of a woman who was raped off campus. And when I say off campus, I mean like across the street from our school. So of course the school is like, not a problem. You're not on our property. 
I had reached out to the president at the time offering a free class. And I had no idea what I was doing at this time. You know, it's kind of one of those like, oh, I've done this. Let me teach a class. And they said, no, they've got someone. Don't worry about it. And so I actually found out who the woman was because she was a student and got a hold of her directly because I knew one of her friends. And so I worked with her and her friends. And then that kind of just started spiraling into running classes on a regular basis on campus. And so that that point, now I'm running these women's self-defense classes that I'm still kind of figuring out what the hell I'm even teaching for that in the first place and adjusting it every time. And as I'm doing this, I'm also kind of starting to notice more things when I'm out at parties and I'm out with friends and you just start kind of paying attention to behaviors. And again, I didn't do anything at the time. I never said anything at the time. You know, there was no crimes committed, but you just kind of notice certain behaviors that you're like, this, this doesn't feel right, look right. But again, all in hindsight. And so by the time I was a senior, I kind of just had enough seeing it, hearing about it. By that point, I had known numerous victims from my school alone that had been assaulted or raped on our campus both on like on our campus in the halls and as well as like off-campus housing and stuff, nothing was done with any of them, unfortunately. And so this was back in, I graduated in 13. So this was like right as title nine was starting to kind of peep through. This was right as it's on us was just starting to kind of come to, to fruition. It Like none of those programs were really out there yet. And so nothing was really happening at the time. And so when I graduated college, I remember going up to my dad and I was saying, hey, I'm going to send a few emails to some schools and more specifically sororities because I knew how schools worked. I knew that like everyone said, yeah, we're going to show up and then no one does. So I was like, I'm going to go to the sororities. I emailed a few, not thinking anything of it, like just different schools. Like, hey, I want to come and just talk to you guys about sexual violence, drink spiking, reporting the crimes, how do schools handle the crimes? And within like days, also, I started, you know, two emails, three emails, 10 emails, 20 emails, and it just started like snowballing. And then all of a sudden I was booked for like three months to the point where I like, I took off work and I was like, I just, I just have to go do some of this. So it'd be one where, you know, I'm Chicago. So I would drive to Indiana university, teach there at night, come back, sleep next morning, drive out to Iowa, teach there that night, come back, go up to Wisconsin, go to, to Ohio. And it was like all over the Midwest. I was just, and it'd be like, so it started to the point where I was just like, I'm going to go in Iowa for a week. And I would go to like four different schools around that area, just working with different sororities over the course. And then those sororities would talk to other sororities. And so they'd have me come back. I did it all for free. I didn't charge anyone for it. It was all on my dime just because it was something that at the time, again, nothing was happening. Nobody was really talking about it at the time. And during the course of that, I've had, I had one student of mine and a close friend of mine who had both been assaulted during my tours. And I remember talking to one of my students who had me come to her sorority and she had asked me, you know, I had already talked with her about it, kind of just getting some of the crap off my chest. And, and she's like, I want you to kind of up the intensity a little bit at this presentation. She goes, I want you to kind of don't beat around the bush. Don't sugarcoat it. She's like, I want you to just be as raw as possible because she's like, there's a lot of girls in our chapter that have been assaulted that no one really talks about. And my the goal of my presentations, it sounds bad. I knew I was going to trigger people with them. My focus wasn't those people. My, my focus is, as, as you said, the people that are like, well, I know this happens, but it's not going to happen to me. I'm fine. And so my job was to like, my focus was I'm going to tr- activate, I'm, I'm, by triggering those people, you're going to get the message because you're going to see your fellow sisters walk out extremely distraught or like, oh my God, I had no idea that happened. And it's sad to say, but that's how I had to kind of approach those presentations. And sure enough, I had 
multiple people walk out of her chapter. The president of their chapter called me after and, and thanked me. And she's like, we had no idea this was such a big issue on our campus, let alone our chapter, you know, and, and I don't think I, I ever received, I would get some complaints from non-victims, but every single survivor or victim either was lined up to talk with me after the presentation or reached out afterwards thanking me, talking with me, sharing their story, asking me to share their story in future presentations and stuff, because I would do research on the schools. I would dig up stuff on the schools and just kind of say, you know, you may all don't think this is happening, but this has happened at another campus or this is happening on your campus. This happened last year. This happened on my campus. And so I was just sharing these stories that people weren't paying attention to, just like the videos and giving them the raw, like, here's a woman I worked with who attempted, you know, she attempted suicide or she went into depression or whatever the case is. Like, here's a, an average student who just lost everything because someone decided to take advantage of her. And so that just hearing the stories and seeing how much feedback I was getting, that kind of just spiraled it. And that's kind of like really what fueled kind of my passion in that sense for that stuff. So that's kind of a long, long about answer, but that's kind of where like that focus kind of came from. No, I mean, that's, it's, it's incredible, honestly, because you never really understand or realize how many people just assault in general has affected. And I know, like, I'm confident the statistics aren't correct because same with drink spiking. A lot of it goes unreported. People don't talk about it. I always will ask, and I've seen other people actually ask the same questions, but I'll always ask if you know someone that's been assaulted, raise your hand or stand up. If you know that the person reported it, stay standing. Whatever. And the majority of the time you'll get, you know, out of a group of 200 people, you'll get 190 to stand. And then when it's like, okay, how many of you reported it? Maybe five are still standing. And like that kind of just sets the tone with everyone right away. And it's like, now granted, I'm going to take into account things. I understand that they could all be talking about the same person, but it's still from a visual perspective. It's like, okay, so when you see these statistics, those statistics are based off of these five people, not the hundred plus that are not standing anymore because not everyone reports it. So you, you know, you, those statistics are always going to be flawed. And so whatever statistic I, I tell people, whatever statistics you hear, amplify it because how many people are not coming forward and talking about how many people are embarrassed. I had a male student at my school who was he was being drugged and sexually abused by his fraternity brother for well over a year and the guy was videotaping it and taking pictures of it and he stumbled upon the footage when they were on a business trip and like found footage of himself on his brother fraternity brother's computer and had no idea this was happening and he jumped into gear right away like he took action immediately and I was good I was very good friends with both of them for different reasons. And so it was very weird kind of seeing the perspective of the predator who's serving a very long time in prison right now. And the perspective of the guy who was being assaulted because this guy was acting like nothing was going on. And that, you know, it was one of those, it's like, Oh, you know, I got some, some legal stuff I got to take care of. You know, I just won't be in contact and like just very nonchalant about the issue. And this guy was like just dead silent. And it was one where, you know, he was very open about it and talked about it and camp, you know, his classmates, and everything were very supportive of it. But the moment that the trial and everything was done, just completely reverted back, doesn't talk about it, doesn't tell, like just slipped into depression, because it was one of those like he rode that wave to take care of it. And then once it finally like, you're done, it's settled. Now you have to accept the fact that this actually did in fact happen, he went the opposite way. And you would never know that happened if he if he doesn't actually open up to you about it. So it's like, you know, it's one of those like that one was reported, but you're never going to hear from him again about it type thing. So with a, with a situation like that, <clears throat> you probably encounter a lot of people who kind of just bottle it up. Yeah. What 
are people supposed to do? Obviously, bottling it up is the wrong answer. So what steps are they supposed to take? The steps to take, and again, this is with anyone that just gets, even if you think you've been sexually abused, which like, especially when it comes like the spiking and the drug aspect of things where you're not 100% sure, like you're going to know something's off and it's just better. You know, we tell people it's, it's very difficult to go forward and pursue charges and go through the process because now you're admitting that something happened, which a lot of, and I've had conversations with survivors where I've had to be the one as I'm talking with them, where it's like, no, this, this happened. And they're, they had it like process that it happened. They're, they're kind of looking for that validation. Like, please tell me this. I'm not crazy. This happened to me. And it's just heartbreaking to kind of see them accept it. So like that, that alone is a very difficult thing to take. And then from there, you know, then you have the depositions, you got to talk to detectives and lawyers and you have to sit face to face with the person that did this to you and listen to their end of it as you talk to your end and that's even before and if it even goes to a trial i will i obviously i'm never going to force anyone to do that i always encourage people that have told me or when i'm giving presentations if someone that you know has been assaulted encourage them to at least go and get tested because if they don't want to pursue and and get the charges, which is fine, now they at least have a kit with DNA evidence, everything, so that even if years down the line, because I, I don't remember what the statue is, but it, it's at least five plus years that they'll hold on to that stuff for. But if down the road you're like, I want to press charges, you know, they open up their folder and they're good to go. But if you wait, you know, there's no way that they're going to gather evidence at that point. Uh, but the other thing is just a safety perspective. You know, let's make sure you don't have any infections now or diseases or anything as a result of what happened. Make sure there's no injuries. Like if you feel like you've been assaulted, it's emotionally, yes, but there's also physical harm that can happen. Go and get checked and get tested and at least make sure that you're good. And then again, if you don't want to do anything past that, that's fine. You know, that that's that's a hard enough thing to do just to get the test done, let alone go ahead and now openly admit, talk to your family about it, especially because most of the time is it's someone that, you know, you know, we're not always you know, Halloween and New Year's and stuff like that's different when you had these big parties. But for the most part, it's going to be someone that you trust. And so for me to be like, oh, hey, my brother did this, my teacher did this, like it's someone that you're close to. And, and now not only do you have to admit to that, but it's is my family going to believe me? Are my friends going to believe me? And it's very disheartening when most people are like, oh, yeah, they'd have my back and they don't. And it's not always the case. But you, you that's another thing of like family and friends may not believe you, especially depending on the circumstances. Or were you a big party person and then finally something happens like, OK, come on, you're crying wolf like you did this yourself. You, you know, you know what's going to happen. Like you, you don't know what people are going to say you're going to do. And so all of that and all you're trying to do is just get help. It, that's what kind of that fear of all that rejection and everything else is what kind of a lot of people just wants to bottle up from there. I mean, I've met people that handle it a lot of different ways. Some people go into social work as a result of it. Some people start companies like yours, you know, something to battle it because if they, you know, even if they didn't handle it, they want to make sure that it doesn't happen to somebody else. And I've met numerous people that have gone and become counselors or something to help fight and work with survivors you have some people that are kind of just level and they'll never talk about it, but they'll function. They're fine. They're going to go on with life and you would never know unless something triggered them or they opened up to you about it. And then you have the people that their whole life turns upside down, which like my friend in school, he was extremely successful, 
had jobs lined up. He became hooked on drugs. He became hooked on alcohol. He went into depression. He attempted suicide numerous times. Like his whole life spiraled down and it took him years to get back on track. And even then it wasn't anywhere. Like he, you know, one of those kids that you see in school, like, yeah, that kid's going to go far. And it just completely flipped his life upside down. Um, So some people just don't know how to process and handle it. You're never going to know. Well, it's not something that we're taught. So exactly. Yeah. There's just no reason we would even know how to, but do you know, did you ever find out what drug that one of the, the fraternity brothers was using? You never found out? No. I'm sure I could find if I dug around, I might be able to see if it was in a report or something. I just know it was one that he was drugged on a regular basis. And when he was drugged, he would just kind of fondle him and, and take videos and pictures of him. And again, you know, you're, you're out, you're with your buddies, you're drinking. It's just, Oh, I had too much to drink. I passed out. No recollection of it. You know, typical frat night, you know, haha, let's move on with their lives. And that's where at least on like the college level where a lot of that stuff kind of gets slipped in because again, you never know. I'm going to know if I go to a bar and I have one beer and something's off, but if I'm at a frat party or a school party or whatever, you know, you're kind of less inclined to pay attention to what you're drinking, how much you're drinking. You're just out there to have a good time. Right. You're with your friends. You wouldn't even think about it. So the time we have left, I do want to talk about the upcoming holidays, Halloween and New Year's crime rates increase during both of these holidays. And I want to talk about some just fundamental techniques or things that we should be aware of maybe we can i guess both both holidays yeah we'll cut, we can together. combine them yeah yeah so what are some fundamental self-defense techniques that you believe everybody should know i'm a, i'm gonna even just kind of backpedal this a little bit and just say the biggest thing that people need to be aware of especially this time of year is just being aware of what's going on. And it sounds very simple. And I, and I get people talk about like situation, situational awareness all the time, but situational awareness is not just a term. It's an action. And it's stuff. It means that like what you're observing and what you're seeing and hearing and feeling, you have to actually react to it. Otherwise you're not really being situationally. Like when you ask people like, Oh yeah, I know it's that guy across the street, but what are you doing about it? Oh, well, nothing. I see he's over there. Well, then you're not really being aware. You're just observing it. But like being aware of what's going on means you're making adjustments. So especially like I, I can tell you for a fact, like Halloween weekend on college campuses is like the biggest party weekends of the year. Everyone's got parties. Everyone's going, stuff's got going on. Even as adults, there's, you know, there's Halloween parties and then New Year's is another one. And the biggest thing is that that's kind of like the one time where even if you don't like to party, a lot of people tend to still go out. You have to understand that if you're going out with a group of people, which I highly recommend, unless you're with your significant other, if you're with a group of friends, which most people will be, especially ladies, you have to stick together. You have to have a game plan. And I think that's huge. I don't think a lot of people have action plans anymore. You know, my wife and I do even just kind of like going out in public that if something were to happen, a violent attack or something that we witness, we have a game plan of like, okay, this is what we're going to drop what you're doing. You get to the car, you know, whatever the case is, like, I'm not helping anyone else. I'm getting you to safety type situation. Like there's a game plan in place that there's no question. There's no argument about, but the same thing goes if you're going with a group of friends. And I would always tell people, if you're going to a party, house party, a club, a bar, know where the exits are right away, just for a safety hazard to begin with because those places get packed this time of year so no like if something happens you know maybe you're underage and the cops come well you you want to know where the exit is to get out right but if there's a fire if something's going on if if god forbid 
someone starts attacking the place or fights start breaking out. Like you don't want to be in those situations. You want to be able to get out. So find your exits right away. Again, have a game plan where if something hits the fan, regardless of what it is, there's no questions asked. You and your friends know, yep, we're dropping what we're doing and we're going out. If someone doesn't feel comfortable, if something feels off, again, have people that you trust where they're not going to be like, oh, come on, come on, you're being overdramatic. It's no, we agreed if this happens or if you hear me say this word or this phrase, like we're done, night's over, we're leaving because something is wrong. And you've got to have people that you trust. If you don't trust the people that, that you're with for those types of circumstances and find different people to go out with, period, because you want people that you can trust. Now, same thing, if you're out with a group of friends, and especially at college, right? Uh, you find someone attractive, you both decide, hey, we're going to take off for the night for whatever reason, go back to his place, my place. They should 100% know where you're going, period. And I, as an RA, when I would see people leave or come back and I could tell that the one person was just belligerently drunk and had no idea where they're at, but they are coming back with a random person that I also know that they've never hung out with. I think it's important to understand that if, if you were leaving with me, you can go tell your friends like, hey, I'm leaving with David. Here's his address. Here's where I'm staying. So, if, you know, if you don't hear from me, this is where I'm going to be at. And if me bringing you home has a problem with you giving out my address to someone else, then don't go with that person. Because it could just be simple like, oh, they're just going to pick me up in the morning. Like there should be no reason why I should be worried about your friends knowing where I live unless there's just something off about that. And I don't want you to know. So like simple things where again, people are like, Oh no, no, it's fine. Don't worry. Like he's a nice guy or a nice girl, whatever. I'm going to leave with them. Know where they're at. And again, that could be for Halloween. That could be for New Year's, just any kind of party in general. So those are like the biggest things. If something feels off, if you're at a party and someone's just kind of giving you bad vibes, maybe someone's getting a little bit touchy touchy, especially during Halloween where people are in costumes and they're going to kind of get away with some of that stuff because you don't know who they are. Again, if anything makes you feel uncomfortable, get out, especially because those are the times where people are going to take advantage of those situations. When it comes to drinking, because everyone's going to do it, everyone's going to do the drugs. One, know who it is. That's if, if you're getting a drink from somebody, which again, and I know you all iterate this all the time, you know, like pour your own drinks, serve your own drinks. I know it's not going to happen all the time. So at least know where your drink came from. Watch it be made. Watch it be poured. Know the person that's giving it to you. Don't just accept a random person in a mask handing you a beer and like, hey, have a drink. Like, no, I want a new beer. I want to watch you open it. Like there's things that you can do that, again, aren't foolproof. But at least if something happens, you can go, that person gave it to me right there. They poured it over there. And then you can kind of start figuring out if other people are having the same issues. Like, oh, they did this to everybody. But at least if something happens, you can at least start kind of narrowing it down rather than, well, somebody in the mask gave me a drink or somebody in this party dressed in a nice suit gave me a drink. So simple stuff like that. And then, yeah, once you do have your drinks, keep an eye on them, keep them covered, stay with your friends. If you put your drink down or something to go to the bathroom, get a new drink. You know, it's, it's simple stuff that I don't like this coming across as like we're blaming people. And, and I, I, I love products like yours because it doesn't for, I am very against products that force me to change my behavior. Like I want something that I can carry on how I carry on and do stuff on a regular basis, but it just adds to it rather than like, oh, you can use this product, but you can no longer wear those shoes anymore. You have to wear this. Like if I have to do that, then I don't want that anymore. So it's as simple as like, well, you already have a drink in hand. People already tell you like, oh, I just put my thumb over it or I put a napkin over the top. Okay, well now put a cover on it. You know, simple stuff like that. So I, I think a lot of it's just, you, you just kind of have to, the biggest thing is just be with people you trust. Be with people you trust, be overdramatic. I guess at times, if you need to be, there's again, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, as my dad always said growing up, you know, I would rather, 
you feel guilty waking me up in the middle of the night to come and pick you up at a party than me get a phone call that you decide to drive home drunk or with a drunk friend. So it's like, you know, accept that guilt. Like, okay, I need to leave. Something's going on. Maybe your friend's going to be pissed off. You know, I've seen plenty of people where they're like, Hey, you know what? You're not going with this person and they'll be pissed off. But in the morning, they're fine. You know, they're going to be pissed off at the moment, but the next day they don't remember about it. So stick up for each other, stand up for something. You know, that that's like the, that's my self-defense advice in that sense. You know, the actual like hitting and what to do in those situations like that varies. You know, it's one where if something feels off, if someone's touching or grabbing you in a manner that you don't like, hit them. Hit them as hard as you possibly can and just kind of set that tone right away. And it sounds bad, but especially nowadays, it's like you want to be the person that initiates that stuff first if they're not backing off. Now, obviously, try and talk your way out of it, try and de-escalate it, try and get out of the situation, remove yourself from the place. But if something's not happening and someone's still grabbing you, touching you, trying to get you to drink something, just hit them. Obviously, consequence wise, you know, not too, too many consequences on that sense, more, more so the fact that you're now in a fight. You know, there's a very good chance that if I put my hands on you, especially if alcohol is involved, you might put your hands back on me. So, you know, there's always that risk, but I would rather, rather than telling people, you know, do this, this or that, just avoid the situations. And if someone's not backing off, slap them. Thank you so much. If you guys want any more information, David, please tell us where we can find you. All of this was super amazing. So we're all my social media is David Heineman, or if you search stay safe martial arts, one of the two will should pop up on your page. I'll tag you in the description. So thank you again. And saving so many lives. So I appreciate it. Thank Thank you. Have a great day. Have you too in Kentucky. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We'll touch base soon. Awesome. Thank you so much.